The shortest distance between two points might be a straight line, but when it comes to your career, that may not lead to the most fulfilling or satisfying destination. In this episode, we're up to part four of a five-part series on how to build your career plan and focus on the difference between more traditional, linear career maps and a more holistic approach to building a career map based on the principles of Ikigai. Let's go. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Progress Over Perfection Coaching Podcast. My name is Patrick Dedrick, and I'm the founder of Progress Over Perfection Coaching and the host of the show, and I want to thank you for listening in. Progress Over Perfection Coaching is a podcast focused on career management and development by offering insight on how to build an intentionally balanced and purpose-filled career. As I mentioned, this is part four of a five-part series detailing how to build a career plan. If you found yourself here wondering what this podcast is all about, I invite you to take a step back and check out our first episode. Or, if you missed parts 1 through 3 of the career plan series, then I invite you to check those out too. However, this episode does shift a little bit from the first three episodes in the series. Where those talked about the components of career plans based on the four dimensions of Ikigai, we're going to take a short break from the lists of things you've hopefully pulled together already to this point and spend some time thinking about the structure that you can use to apply those lists. We spent the last couple episodes building a repository of skills, responsibilities, attributes, and proficiencies related to the four dimensions of Ikigai, so that you can start to put together your own career map. In this episode in the career planning series, we'll focus on a more granular breakdown of the linear or conventional career plan and the more flexible kind of plan I advocate using, defining where you are and where you want to go, and how to incorporate SMART goals to your career plan to make sure you're moving forward. I promise that if you did follow along with the work from the past couple of episodes, that it wasn't wasted. In our final episode in the series, we'll revisit your lists that actually build your career plan. I'll also go into detail on how you can communicate and share your plan with others to share your vision and ideally highlight to mentors and colleagues how they might be able to help you along your way. With that, let's get started. When most people think of a career plan and the way that I managed my own career for the first three or four years that I actually had a plan is with a pretty linear list of titles or positions of increasing seniority that led to a more senior level position five or 10 years down the road. Essentially, you start by picking a significantly elevated title that sounds like it makes sense for the field that you're in. Or maybe it happens to be a dream job or title that you one day want to hold. Then you pick a length of time that you want it to take for you to get there and then you fill out the in-between with intermediary titles between that dream job and where you are today. And you typically space those out about two to three years apart. The main point of differentiation between building the kind of plan I'm referring to and the more linear career plans or maps like this example has to do with the focus. Traditional or conventional career plans in my experience tend to focus on titles or positions that build up to your dream job or the title you wanna have in 10 years. And keep in mind that 10 years is completely arbitrary. It's really just meant to signify a point in the future that's reasonably far away based on the distance between where you are and that job. So for example, if you're currently a senior director and you want to become a vice president, then it might not make sense to to say that it'll take you 10 years to get there. So thinking back to the example I used in a previous episode, say you're pursuing a career in marketing. A conventional career map might look like I'm currently a marketing specialist 
then I want to be a marketing analyst, and then a senior analyst, and then a marketing manager, and then a senior manager, and then a marketing director to eventually get me to my dream job of VP of marketing. If I spend two to three years in each role before getting promoted, this will take about 10 to 12 years. With plans built this way, the nice thing is that it's relatively easy to understand. It's very easy for people to connect the dots. They can see where you are or where you've been, and they can easily picture you following a straight line to your dream job destination. In my experience, when I've shared career plans like this with prospective mentors or when networking, conversations actually go pretty smoothly. It doesn't take long for the person I'm meeting with to frame up how they think they can or can't help me. The downside then is that this also becomes very easy for that frame of reference to define my relationship with that person or for them to pigeonhole me into this specific context. Looking at the marketing career example, if I've made a connection with someone with the context of my marketing career map, then odds are whenever I talk to them again, or if I come to their mind, then I'll be the marketing guy or the kinds of things they think they can offer me are constrained to whether or not it'll help me along my career in marketing. Now, this isn't inherently a bad thing, especially if my passion for marketing never changes, in which case it can actually be a pretty good thing. But should my map change and I no longer want to pursue a career in marketing for whatever reason, then it can turn into a somewhat of an uphill battle to try and get established mentors to think about me in a different light. If I do adhere to this kind of career map and then change my mind and build a new career map that's entirely different from marketing, When I meet with previous mentors, I'll have to re-explain my map and talk about why things have changed. And the worst case scenario is that they'll now see me as someone who doesn't know what they want to do, that they may not be able to directly help, or even someone that might not be worth their time and energy for them to spend on. Now, this might be a bit extreme, and obviously each mentor or networking contact you have will be different and likely not be this one-dimensional in how they approach careers. But it's certainly something that I've encountered in my career journey to some degree, and it ultimately worked against me in my career goals at the time. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't some things from linear career maps that are useful. Most specifically, it's key to have an endpoint in mind or a destination, even if that does change over time. I like to think of this as your dream job. This can be a title or a a position, and if this is the first time you're building a career map, I think that it's a good place to start. Having a position in mind will help you frame up the rest of your career map and help you to figure out how you're going to get there. In fact, without a destination in mind, you can't really be sure that where you're headed is the right direction. That's not to say that I think you need to have a specific position in mind for your dream job. For myself, I actually don't have a specific title as my dream job. For me, My destination is the opportunity to live and work in another country and give my family the opportunity to experience life in another culture. The main takeaway is that whether it's a title or other aspect of your career that you have as a dream job or a goal, you should be able to define it and it should be something that you can communicate to others. If you're familiar with the work of Simon Sinek, then you're probably familiar with his concept of starting with why. If you aren't familiar, I'll post a link to it in the show notes and I suggest you check it out. It's pretty iconic at this point. It's actually been around for a while, and you can really tell by the video quality. And while everyone you talk to about your career map may not ask you why your career goal is what it is, you should absolutely have defined it for yourself and be able to articulate it. What about that goal makes it desirable for you to the point that you're steering your entire career towards it? 
So you also need to know where you're starting from. This can be the current position you hold or in the event that you're starting a brand new career or just starting a career. It can be an entry level position in the field that you're looking to develop. Again, this will help to create a frame of reference for what your career plan needs to help you accomplish. As you start to build your career plan using the linear model, it should be pretty straightforward to determine your starting point. Hopefully you've got a pretty good feel for where you are right now, the titles you've held and typically any educational background you have. For this, I think of what you would normally put on a resume. It becomes a bit more involved when talking about the kind of career map I advocate for because it involves more than just listing out the jobs or titles you've had, but the experiences and skills that you've gained along the way. Thankfully, we spent the last few episodes building a version of that list at least. In coming up with your destination, I definitely recommend putting some pretty serious thought into where you want to go, as this will ultimately shape your plan. This can be in the form of self-reflection, uh, an assessment of, the re- of your current relationships and how that may play into your career more long-term, or any number of other factors that could impact where you want out of your career or why. That being said, you don't need to stress over this too much right out of the gate. One of the keys to this kind of career plan is that it can and should change over time. You don't need to nail it 100% before you continue along the process. But once you think you've got it in a good place, it should make sense for you. Your desired destination can change, or the route that you want to take to get there can change. And again, that's okay. But it's important that as you draft and redraft your plan, that you do so thoughtfully. So once you have your endpoint, at least for now, for this new career plan you're making for yourself, we'll start to look at, that's where I'll start to look different from more linear plans. So my approach would have you think of your career development and growth, not in terms of titles or positions, but in terms of skills and experiences. Again, if you've been following along with the show, this will be somewhat of a refresher from past episodes. First, you should understand where you are. So I just taking inventory of the skills you feel you're proficient at and the experiences you've gained. For skills, if you're currently working in a more structured corporate environment, it might be easiest to actually frame them up through the lens of any kind of skills matrix or list of development competencies that your company might have. When it comes to experiences, you can almost think of this as bullet points you have on your resume. These are the kinds of things that you've done. Now for these resume experiences, when they're on your resume, they're probably more specific, like manage the marketing team of five individuals to over-deliver the 2020 plan. And you may want to restate them for the purposes of this exercise to be a bit more generic, like successfully led a small team or exceeded business results. The key is to focus on the core of the experience. What did you do rather than focus on the context that you did it in? Again, this will make more sense uh, in a little while. After that, you should think about what kinds of skills you need to develop and the experiences that you need to have in order to make you qualified for the role you eventually want to hold. I like to make two lists here. One of the skills that I need and the other is the experiences that I need to have gained. These two lists will be intertwined and help you to build your plan, but I find that it helps to have them each in their own list. Going back to the marketing example, if being a VP of marketing is my destination, or maybe more broadly, my destination is that I want to create and lead the marketing strategy and vision for a Fortune 500 company, then some of the skills I need could be strategic thinking, developing and managing others, and effective communication and presentation of complex ideas. 
some of the experiences I need to have gained could be created a multi-year marketing plan that's delivered or exceeded targets, led and developed a large team of high-performing marketing professionals, and delivered or exceeded marketing campaign result targets under budget. The way I like to think about it is that the skills are what I need to have to enable me to be effective at doing something, and the experiences are the way that I can demonstrate my proficiency with those skills. There'll be many experiences that you can have that can help you hone the skills that you need, and those skills will take time to develop for you to truly be able to claim mastery over. So as you think about building your career plan and regularly reflecting on how you're progressing along it, it's important to make sure that you don't get a one and done kind of mindset where once you've gained one experience that relates to a skill that you've mastered it. This is especially true when you're looking at more senior roles. For example, having managed a team of two people for one year does not necessarily mean that you can say that you are a skilled people manager. You may have had some success with managing that team and undoubtedly gained some valuable experience, but it's very unlikely that you have encountered in that one year the breadth and depth of experiences that would make you ready to lead an organization of a hundred or more people. Especially if you consider the different kinds of experiences that fall under the managing people umbrella. There are differences in managing contractors from full-time employees, exempt or salary from non-exempt or hourly employees entry-level from experienced professionals, virtual teams from local in-person employees. It's not to say that you need to have covered all of these different experiences to say that you've mastered the skill of managing and developing others, but you'll need to do some research on your destination role to best understand the facets of managing others that you'll need to have demonstrated proficiency in. Once you have that list of skills and experiences, Then you can start to break those down into their own lists of skills and experience requirements. And you keep doing this until you get to a point where you find that the subsequent lists that you're making align with the skills and experience inventory list that you made at the beginning of this exercise. Keeping with the marketing example and the identified experience of needing uh, experience needed of leading a large team of high performing marketing professionals. This could be thought of as the intersection of the skill of developing high-performing talent and the experience of managing a large team. From there, I can take the skill of developing high-performing talent and create a list of skill building blocks that I think I need to get me there, like effective communication and listening, leadership, and motivating others. A descending list of experiences by degree of scope that might fit into this example could look like managed a large team, which means I would have need to have managed a small team, which means I would have need to have mentored others. And that could uh, have been built up to by having led peers without formal authority. So you might notice that the list of experiences tend to have some parallels with the more linear career maps, and that there tends to be a pretty straight point A to point B path. The difference being is that these experiences are meant to be agnostic of any specific career path. That's, again, why I suggest that you strip out some of the context of your own experiences when you build your initial experience inventory. For both these skills and experiences, you don't necessarily need to gain these from your job or profession or even your current career plan. These can be things that you pick up in other parts of your life. Maybe you coached a soccer team and helped them turn around a losing season to making it to the playoffs. That's developing talent and motivating others. Typically, These less formal examples are more applicable for earlier on in your career, 
and they're not likely going to be seen as equivalent for more senior level positions in very rigid corporate cultures to having had the specific structured resume that shows these skills and experiences. But at the very least, as you build your plan, it can help you to frame up your experience as having contributed value and what you bring to the table as a whole. So this is especially true when you need to change your career plan. Again, notice how I said when and not if. Again, I'd say that it's very normal to change your career plan over time. And that's why keeping an inventory of the skills and experiences you've gained is so important. Keeping with the marketing career example, let's look at the differences between the linear career plan from the skills and experience-based plans. Say that you've put in five years to your career in marketing and you've worked your way up to be a marketing manager. Then, let's say that for some reason, your life priorities have changed and you decide that cooking is now is your passion and you want to become a chef and open up your own restaurant one day that's completely different right so this may be a more extreme hypothetical but it illustrates the fact that if you're only using a linear hierarchical map to chart out your career now you effectively have to start over with whatever new career you want to pursue so in this framework those five years invested in career and marketing really won't help you to get to be a chef that owns your own restaurant someday That's why when I say that you need to have a plan, what I really mean is you need to have an understanding of the experiences and and skills that you want to develop over time that are going to help build a foundation to get you to where you want to go, rather than a checklist of titles or positions. So looking at the transition from the dream job of marketing VP to restaurant tour, in the example we were just talking through, Let's look at it through the lens of skills and experiences you have from where you've been and your goals or your destination paved with the experiences and expertise needed to get you to where you want to go. And now you can reframe your situation into a much more productive outlook. Sure, you'll still likely need to put in some significant time to build up your cooking chops and work under other chefs before you can credibly own your own restaurant. But your time in marketing will be put to good use when you do end up with that restaurant and you need to think about how to promote it and convey your brand. Or even earlier than that, when you need to think about how to market yourself along the way. So you may need to start from the beginning in some regards with this new career path. But as you get further along, some of your marketing skills can still be put to good use and potentially give you an edge that others might not have. Again, this is an extreme example, but I hope it illustrates the benefit of having put in the work to the kind of plan that I'm referring to and how it can be put to use. So you can think of being done with your list of skills and experiences that you need to gain, at least for now, once you're at a point where you see yourself being able to directly put effort towards gaining that skill or having that experience. For example, if you've never managed people before and you have the line of experiences built out that eventually lead up to managing a large global team, then you'll probably stop your list of skills along those lines when you get to something like mentor a more junior associate or demonstrate indirect leadership by managing a cross-functional team project. Those are both experiences that could logically demonstrate an ability to lead, thereby showing you could be ready for the accountability that comes with actually managing another person, which would progress you a step closer to the experiences required for your ultimate goal. In some ways, this kind of rings true to the adage that you should be able to show that you can do the job you want before you have it. All right, so now you should have a list of skills and experiences that make sense for your career plan. You're ready to 
put some structure around those individual components and turn them into more cohesive and comprehensive actionable goals. One of my favorite ways to do this is by using the SMART framework. So I didn't come up with a SMART goal framework, and they're definitely not unique to career maps or even this format of career map. They're very popular and very effective in terms of how to set a goal. If you aren't familiar, SMART is an acronym for specific, measurable, attainable or achievable, relevant or realistic, and time-bound. There are a lot of reasons why these goals are beneficial to use. They help make sure that the goals we set out to achieve truly get us closer to our destination. They keep us grounded in the reality of what we can accomplish, and they hold us accountable by setting a time frame. Depending on the list of skills and experiences you'd come up with that are first on your list to tackle, it's important to make sure that you don't put too much on your plate all at once. I typically like to think in year-long increments. Typically, I'll line up my next year of ex executing my career plan to the annual development cycle of wherever I'm working. It works out nicely in that regard, but by no means do you need to wait until the beginning of a cycle at your own work, or even need to depend on this cycle if you aren't in a situation where one like this is laid out for you. The important thing is that you give yourself a set amount of time to try and accomplish a defined number of goals. Setting two or three at a time is where I found to be kind of a sweet spot, and in my experience, setting more than that can lend itself to a lack of focus or a feeling of overwhelm. Either of those will take away from the attainable and realistic aspects of your goals. So let's break down an example of a SMART goal focused around getting the experience of leading others. In this example, I don't have any direct reports, and I've not previously managed others. And when I build a SMART goal, I like to do it kind of like I'm playing a game of Mad Libs, where I address each letter of the acronym separately. So for specific, let's say I want to demonstrate the ability to effectively lead others by volunteering to take the lead on a big project that's coming up. For measurable, success can be demonstrated not only by the success of the project, but also the engagement of the team. For attainable, so someone from my department is likely going to lead the big project, and I've shown some success in informally leading smaller projects. For realistic, uh, my current responsibilities leave me with enough bandwidth that I can take on the extra responsibility of leading this project successfully. And time bound, let's say that this project is set to start up in the next month and will conclude within about six months. So from that, we can put all of that together to make the SMART goal look something like leverage my informal project management experience to volunteer to lead the large cross-functional project coming up within the next month so that I can demonstrate my ability to successfully lead others by the end of the year. As you build out your SMART goal, if you find that you can't come up with one because what you had in mind isn't measurable, attainable, or realistic, then you should probably look to focus on another goal, as the one you have in mind may not actually get you uh, what you're looking for in terms of advancement in your plan. The other watch out is setting a time boundary. Depending on your goal, the time frame may be set for you, which is nice if it depends on some other variables like taking a class that's only offered at a specific time or events that only occur at certain times like closing the financial books on a month or a quarter. But if the time line is up to you, then it's most important to make sure that you're disciplined enough to hold yourself accountable to your timeline. If you aren't, then you run the risk of never accomplishing that goal, or at least not accomplishing it in line with your plan. Ultimately, you should try to push yourself, but within the realm of reason. Okay, so now you have a framework to sketch out your map and some goals 
put in place, it's time to put it together with the aspects of your career plan. Again, that's what you're good at, what you like to do, what the world needs, and what you can be paid for. So in the next episode, we'll do just that. We'll wrap things up by bringing together these skills and experiences and the goals and goals with your Ikigai inventories and talk about how to package your plan in a way that makes sense not only to you and your longer term goals, but also a way that allows you to communicate it clearly to others. So just like always, uh, if you've got any uh, thoughts or questions about this episode or ideas for future episodes, I'd love to hear from you. And you can send them to me at patrick at prgscoach.com. So with that, I'll sign off with a certain type of perfection can only be realized through a limitless accumulation of the imperfect. Thanks again for listening in, and we'll talk in our next episode.